Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went towards the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? For whom are you looking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboine, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have yet to ascend to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the story of faith and faithful struggle. Thanks be to God. Let us be in a spirit of prayer. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. And may we, like Samuel, cry out and say, Speak, Lord, for we are listening. Amen. This is Easter Sunday, and hope has awakened. You may remember during the events of Holy Week that Jesus asked his disciples, Won't you pray with me? Won't you stay awake with me? And they couldn't. They fell asleep. Sleep is a metaphor too, isn't it? For not being aware or alert or present or blessed with the importance of what's going on. How often are we sleeping when we need to be woke? When we need to pay attention to what Jesus is doing in this world for those who are in distress? For those who are grieving? For those who are oppressed? And that's the story of Easter, isn't it? 
that Jesus freed the people from oppression. There are all kinds of oppression that continue to go on today that we continue to need to be freed from. And when we celebrate Easter each year, we remember anew what it is that Jesus is doing in this event. Jesus is showing us that love is stronger than hate. That life defeats death. That goodness is stronger than evil. And so we are blessed with salvation. Jesus has saved us by showing us these things, that God is present to us in every moment. We are blessed that hope has awoken. This Easter is an Easter unlike any other. There are no Easter bonnets, no Easter gloves, no Easter lilies, no special meals for some of us. It feels different. And yet in some ways I think it may be the most poignant Easter I have experienced. I don't know about you. One where I can imagine what it must have felt like to feel oppressed and isolated, despairing, devastated. During this time of coronavirus, we are all of those things. And as in the past week we have been calling out for Jesus to save us, it has rung true in our own lives. Save us from all that is going on, all of the anxiety about finances and and our own well-being and the well-being of those we care about and the well-being of those in the community who don't have the wherewithal to provide for themselves. Help us to be the church in those moments to reach out to people with masks, with food, with housing. How can we help? How can we truly help with all these limitations put on us? And yet in that, there is opportunity. There is an opportunity for us to begin to imagine not only the church without walls, the church not being a building, but the church as even more than we ever imagined it could be. We've gotten comfortable in our ways. We've gotten to, to know that this is how we address certain needs, and it feels good when we're able to do that. But now it's all been turned on its side, and we have to start from scratch and imagine anew how to reach out to this hurting, hurting world. And so now more than ever, our prayers are requ required. Our, our spiritual imagination is vital. How can we begin to meet the needs of a changing world? A world that we don't even comprehend anymore. And yet God promises in this Easter moment to be present with us, even despite everything that has happened. It's simple. It's the Easter word of hope and courage came first to people who did not take it for granted, who were mired in their isolation and fear, and who could not imagine what life would now be like. 
stripped of its more regular trappings, you know, traditions and rituals that we hold dear, this Easter service can remind us that God never promised that our worship services would always be grand, that our churches would always overflow, that our economy will always be growing, that our health is guaranteed, or that our lives and our future would unfold exactly as we hoped and planned. God, in and through the incarnated, crucified, and risen Christ, has never promised any of that. Rather, at the heart of the gospel is the promise that God is both with us and for us at all times and in all conditions, in sorrow or in joy, in triumph or in tragedy, gain or loss, peace or fear, scarcity or plenty, God is present. God is present. God is present at the hospital bed. God is present behind the ventilator mask. God is present in our governor's frustration that we received rapid testing machines, but too few tests. God is present as the nurse returns home and must deny her kids a hug until she has stripped off her potentially contaminated clothing and gotten in the shower. As she cries, wondering if that's even enough. God is with her. God is with the husband who drops his partner off at the hospital and sits in the car weeping because the staff will not, cannot let him come in and contaminate or be contaminated by others with this virulent virus. And so families are separated at times when they need most to be together. God is present in those moments. God is near. God is ready to be right beside us, even in those moments. And that presence of God is such an intimate thing. It's an intimate knowing of who we are. God promises, I know you. Even though we understand ourselves to be one of many in God's creation, God knows us individually, uniquely, knows who we are. In John, in the Gospel of John, I'm struck by Jesus' address to Mary. Except it's not really an address, not a word of proclamation at all. Rather, he simply calls her by her name. Mary, he says. And suddenly she sees and believes and trusts and is brought to new life. At the heart of this story is the recognition that the resurrection heralds not simply the defeat of death and promise of life, which are really, really big things, but also that God is accessible to us, that God will not abandon us, that God desires more than anything to be in relationship with us, and that God continues to call us by name. Love wins. Life prevails. Easter 
has come. Hope has awoken. And God is present. There are so many similarities in this story to what we're experiencing now. Jesus was plunged into a time of isolation when no one seems ready around him to acknowledge it, to participate in it, and must rely on the truth of God's presence, even in the midst of it all. Even the shroud that is placed over Jesus' face is similar to what's going on when we make these masks and wear these masks out in public, wearing cloths over our faces, and this virus that threatens to steal our breath away. But working backward into the analogy of breath being the Holy Spirit when it's in its truest form, we know that it cannot be stolen from us. This brutal virus makes us feel like we're locked up in a dark tomb for an impossibly long duration, as though the darkness of Good Friday might go on forever with little hope in sight. And yet all around us we see signs of spring, signs of awakening, signs of hope, signs of resurrection. We know life as we know it may be dampened down for now, covered in what feels like funeral clothing. And yet spring blooms eternal. All around us birds sing, the sun bursts out from the winter clouds, trees bud, flowers unfurl, the ground thaws, and God unwraps an entirely new landscape of color and life. And we wait and expect and know that it is coming. Those signs of spring all around us are oblivious to this coronavirus. The animals, the, the plants, they don't know any of this is going on. They're just blooming. They're just being what God made them to be. And so can we be what God made us to be. Ones who glorify God's name. One who, who expresses the love and relationship that God has so lavishly poured upon us. But speaking to that concept of the flowers not even knowing what's going on, it reminds me of one of my very favorite poems by Mary Oliver. In fact, I have it here on my piano with an image of the ocean. So in your mind's eye, picture an ocean. Picture the waves beating along the shore and listen to Mary Oliver's words. I go down to the shore in the morning, and depending on the hour, the waves are rolling in or moving out. And I say, oh, I am miserable. What shall, what should I do? And the sea says in its lovely voice, excuse me, I have work to do. The springtime of God's creation is continuing its work of glorifying God without a worry, without a concern. I wonder what it must have been like for Jesus those three days in the tomb, knowing that resurrection was imminent, 
yet waiting for dawn to come on that magnificent morning when the stone was rolled away. The sun streamed through, the angel of the Lord removed the funerary cloth from Jesus' face, and the Holy Spirit breathed again the holy breath of life into his stricken body and made it rise like Ezekiel's bones from the valley of the shadow of death. Three days of darkness, then new and restored life, not the same life, but a restored and resurrected life. I can imagine that on the other side of this, it's not going to be the same, but we have an opportunity to see and to imagine, to get our creative spiritual imaginations ready to understand all that God is placing before us all of the opportunities that are going to be available to us. The opportunities that we are now beginning to see. We are strengthening our small group structure. We are meeting together more frequently. People are reaching out to one another who knew each other in, in some ways, but not deeply before. And I think that that is one of the things that is, is being brought to us, is what church truly is, an opportunity to be in community, to be in relationship with one, each other, one another. Hope has awoken. In the early part of World War II, a, a Navy submarine was struck on the bottom of the harbor in New York City. It seemed to have struck a rock and was just, just sort of wedged there. It seemed that all was lost, and there was no electricity, and the oxygen was quickly running out. In one last attempt to rescue the sailors from the steel coffin, the U.S. Navy sent a ship equipped with Navy divers to the spot on the surface directly above the wounded submarine. A Navy diver went over the side of the ship, to the dangerous depths in one last rescue attempt. The trapped sailors heard the metal boots of the diver land on the exterior surface, and they moved to where they thought the rescuer would be. In the darkness they tapped in Morse code, is there any hope? The diver on the outside, recognizing the message, signaled by tapping on the exterior of the sub, yes there is hope and the hope came about in their presence the rescuers presence our rescuers presence jesus christ's presence god's presence with us no matter what is happening in our lives no matter what the outcome seems to be god is present loving us granting us eternal life grace overflowing forgiveness always that is always true for us, no matter the circumstance. Where in your life is that message of hope being tapped out? In the crocuses you see as you walk through your neighborhood? Or the chalk on the sidewalks that some children have done during their homeschooling recess? Or the teddy bears in windows? placed there so that children walking might count them or name them. Or as Mary Ann shared, a lovely poem on someone's door. 
speaking to spring and its imminent return. Or as Paula shared, a moment stepping outside and listening to the peepers. Or my own experience walking out my front door and discovering that some daffodils had been left by a friend. Hope is knocking on our door. And we have been awoken to begin to recognize the signs and the symbols of hope. This season in our lives of being isolated, of being socially distanced is incredibly hard. We worry for our friends and family. We worry for our economy, for our own jobs and financial well-being. We worry for our precious healthcare workers placing themselves in harm's way. We are tired. When Deborah entered the staff meeting this son this past week, one of her children had been using the computer and had changed her name to Tired. And I think we noticed that all of us could have changed our name to Tired. But the identity that God knows, the truth about us that God knows, is that God will be present, loving us, sustaining us, nurturing us through it all. Martin Luther King used to tell the story of Sister Pollard, a 70-year-old African-American woman who lived in Montgomery, Alabama during the now-famous bus boycott. One day, after walking significant distances daily for several months, Sister Pollard was asked if she wanted a ride. When she answered no, the person responded, but aren't you tired? To which Sister Pollard answered, my feet is tired, but my soul is rested. Resurrection living, moving beyond our fears and trusting God, that God is fashioning a way out of no way, that God is celebrating the promise that a new world is unfolding, this leads us to affirm as well that our souls are rested. We will continue to face all kinds of challenges and struggles along the way. Our feet will be tired but our spirits will be strengthened through the presence of the risen Christ. This is the good news that we celebrate this Easter morning. There is no tragedy that God cannot redeem. No dream, even the elusive dream of peace on earth, that the God who raised Jesus from the dead cannot energize and advance. Christ is risen. Hope has awoken. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Amen.